0: Now, and just in case you haven't been a part of this series over the last couple of weeks, uh, let me kind of get you uh, caught up, and then uh, we'll jump right in. Um, we've been looking at a very interesting character in the Bible, a guy by the name of Samson. And his story is in Judges, uh, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And in the midst of uh, his story, the thing that we've learned is that as uh, an infant, his parents actually dedicated him to God. They said, we are going to give you to God, and God had a special purpose for Samson. Samson was given this spiritual strength, physical strength, to be able to uh, wipe out the enemies of God, a group of people called the Philistines. But even though he was strong in physical stature He had a very weak will. And in week one, we learned that he gives up everything. He leaves his hometown. He goes into enemy territory. And in the midst of that, he tries to marry a Philistine woman. And in doing this, he broke several vows that he had made to God. He went through life with this kind of philosophy that if it can be about lust and entitlement and pride, amen, like amen. And in his mind, he was constantly thinking, I want it, I deserve it, and I can handle anything. So Samson kind of had this attitude like many men do. And he was emotion-driven, not spirit-led. And regularly, he would give in to his anger and his pride, and he just gave in to his emotions. And the biggest thing with Samson, he wanted to be the main character of his story. He's like, I want to be the main person. I want to be the one that everyone turns to. And yet he learned that in any of our stories, not only Samson's, but anyone's, you're not the main character of your story. God is is the main character of every story. Now, uh, last week, uh, we found Samson at a place in which uh, he had just killed and slayed a thousand enemies, Philistine enemies. And he's in the middle of a desert, and he's by himself, and he finally cries out to God. He knows he's in big trouble. He knows that he is public enemy number one. And He's like, God, either they're going to kill me, my enemies are, or I'm going to die of thirst. Would you show up? And we learned last week a principle that if you will take your deepest need and it drives you to God, God will meet your deepest need. So let's go ahead and let's pick up on the story in Judges chapter 15, verse 19, and uh, see what happens. He's in the desert. He's thirsty. He cries out to God, and this is what it says. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank it, what happened? His strength, and what else? It returned, and it what? And he was revived. As he turned back to God, he was actually strengthened. Continuing on. So the spring was called in Hokeri, and it still is there in Lehi. Verse 20. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the day of the Philistines. Now let's pause there just for a second, because you might just kind of glance over that, and you'll lose how important uh, that phrase is. For 20 years, he was following God. For 20 years, he was faithfully doing his role and act as a judge of Israel. And in one sentence... It captures exactly the amount of faithfulness that he had. Samson had just experienced the living God coming into his life. Maybe you've experienced that before. Where God comes into your life and you think there's no way out and he meets you at your greatest need. He's on the right track. He's created to do the thing that he's being called to do. God is using him in amazing ways. And then it says, For the next 20 years... He led faithfully as a judge over Israel. And so here's this guy. It's like at the height of honoring God. But tragically, what we find is that he totally messes up. He walks away. He gets out of the lane and he no longer is faithful. We're going to see how a guy who had so much God-given potential actually makes some poor decision, and he winds up having his eyes gouged out, and he winds up in shackles, and he winds up being the laughingstock in a coliseum with all the other Philistines laughing at him. And the question becomes this. How could a man who had so much strength, how could a man who had so much God-given potential mess it all up? Well, the answer is our big idea this morning, and it's this. Samson didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined his life one step at a time. He didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined his life one step at a time. The same tragedy happens to men today. They mess up their lives, but how do they do it again? What is it? One step at a time. Now Samson, he has 20 good years. Like he's doing really well. He's honoring God. He's faithful. He's doing amazing things for him. But look at what happens next. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Say, what? What? do you mean? 20 good years, dude. You've been doing stuff really well for 20 good years. Isn't it amazing how people's life can change in one day? It just takes one day. Just one day and everything can unravel. Everything can change. I mean, one day, a guy can make a bad decision, or a woman can make a bad decision, and before you know it, they're like in this dark downward spiral, and they're in this hole, and they can't get out of it, and this is what happens to Samson. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza, that is the Philistines, the enemies, they told they were told, Samson is here, So they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, what you have to understand is that Gaza is like the headquarters for the Philistines. It's like the capital of Philistine land. It's like Washington, D.C. And so idiot boy Samson leaves his hometown, and he walks to the headquarters, to the capital of the Philistines in Gaza. He travels 25 miles, and he ruins his life. He risks 25 miles for 20 years of faithfulness. Now this raises a question. Why would anyone be so stupid To risk so much for so little. Men do it every day, don't they? We see it every day. Men do it. I mean, a guy has a great marriage. He has a a good integrity. He has a great career. And then he throws it all away with a quick fix or a quick hit or a quick one-night stand. Who would be so stupid to risk something for so little? And the problem is we do it all the time. Now, since I'm a pastor, I only work one day a week. <laughs> in fact, I, I did this illustration a few years ago, and I said, and Jennifer, later in the afternoon, she goes, I mean, no, it's not one day a week. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to give me some encouragement. Like, you know, you work all the time. You're there for people. You're helping them. And then she said this. You work two hours a week. <laughs> I love that woman. It's hard to love her. But, you know, I do. I do. And uh, since I have all this time I, on my hand, hands, I, I was thinking to myself, like, how many steps would it take to walk 25 miles? So turn to the person beside you real quick and give your answer. How many steps would you have to take... To walk 25 miles, okay? Go. Okay, I'm not sure, but I heard, I think, somebody in this area say, I'm not walking 25 miles, so, you know, like, <laughs> like, I don't care. Um, okay, this is it. 56,250 steps. 56,250 steps. Steps again. I don't have much to do, so you know this is what I do for fun. You know, try to for your enjoyment. Um, Let me ask you: How do men ruin their lives again? How do they do it? All at once, or how do they do it? One step at a time. time. Uh, The other thing to think about, which is pretty amazing, he had fifty-six thousand two hundred and fifty opportunities to do what? Turn around. He could have turned around at any time. He could have said, this is stupid. What am I doing? I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm just going to turn around. And yet he didn't do it. Here's the problem. Most men don't plan to make a mess out of their lives. I don't know a single guy who is standing there and says, you know what? My goal in 10 years is to be a sexual addict. I just can't wait 10 years from now to be addicted to porn. Like, that's kind of my goal. No, 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 no. What happens? All of a sudden, there's an ad that comes on your screen, and you click it once. And you're like, ah. So you take a step, and then you click again. And then you click again, and pretty soon you're like, click, 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 And you're doomed at that point. You're absolutely doomed. And your life gets messed up. again. How does a person mess up their life again? It's not all at once, but what is it? One step at a time. I don't know any guy who uh, stands there and is like, man, I want to become broke. I mean, I want to become dead broke. I want to be embarrassingly broke. No, that's not what happens, right? What happens is all of a sudden you go, I got a crappy phone. I'm going to get me a really expensive phone. And then you say, well, I just don't want a phone. I need an iPad. I don't just need an iPad. I need a PS4. I don't need just a PS4. I need a 75-inch TV. I don't just need a TV. I need a new car. I need a house. And step by step, they do this. And eventually, what happens? Financially, they dig a hole, and they're hurt. Again, how does a person mess up their life? Not all at once, but how? One step at a time. I don't know a single guy who stands and is like, you know, I got this good family, got a good wife, got some good kids. But you know what? What I need, I need an affair. Like if I just had an affair, it would just be awesome. And like one day, isn't that what it said? One day, one day, oh my word, look at this. There's just a bed right there. I just like, this woman was naked. She was in I just fell in it. I was like, I don't even know what happened. I just fell right in Woo! Like, the next thing I knew, it was like on like Donkey Kong. I was like, whoa! Is that how it happens? No, that's not how it happens. This is how it happens, right? All of a sudden you go to work and you look and you're like, man, she's cute. Then like a little wavy, wavy and a little flirty, flirty and a little, hey, check this out right here. And, you know, you're just like walking around a little texty, texty. And then you do a little one of these like, ah, and you know, and then you show a little bit and oh, good, good, good. All of a sudden the next thing you know, a little touchy, touchy, a little feely, feely. And next thing you know, what happens? You mess up everything. He destroyed everything. But how did they do it? Did they do it all at once? No. How did they do it? One step at a time. And he ends up in big trouble. For the rest of our time, what I want to talk to you about is how you can take and how Samson did. Samson took these small steps. And what did it lead to? It led to big destruction. So here's the first thing. Uh, how did that happen for Samson? Samson taunted his enemy. He taunted his enemy. Again and again, what we find is that Samson taunts the Philistines. Verse 3, chapter 16. But Samson lay there. Where's he laying? With the prostitute, right? only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, what did he just do? Okay. He's laying with the prostitute. He wakes up. He's like, man, I know they're going to be after me, so I'm going to get out of here. But this is what he does. In the middle of the night, he goes down to the headquarters, to the city gate where everything happens. And he tears off the doors. He tears off the post. And he starts walking up this hill so that everybody can see him. And these weren't just any doors. These weren't wooden doors. Uh, Scholars say that they weighed about 700 pounds. So he takes this 700 pounds. He goes to the top of the The place where everybody can see him. And it's like he flips off every single Philistine in the midst of that. Why does he do that? Because he says, that's where your security is. You think you're secure? You're not secure. Look what I have. And I'm lifting up above my head. But anyway, this guy is strong. He's really strong. Kind of reminds me of me when I'm working out. You know, about 700 pounds. Just put it all on there. All right, he might be stronger. And he's lifting. Guys, this is what I want you to know. Some of you are caught in a battle right now and you don't even realize it. And the issue is you've been taunting the enemy. Every single man, every single person has an enemy. A spiritual enemy who the entire goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Scripture tells us that he's alive and well. He's around. He's trying to take good men down. He's trying to take you out. Scripture says this. Your enemy. Who is it? Who's your enemy? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Last Saturday morning, I woke up. And I had plenty of time to spend some time with God, do some Bible reading, some prayer. But I didn't do that. I I did some sports center. And uh, that's what I did. And then I was getting ready to walk out the door. And I could have kissed my wife goodbye and said goodbye to the kids. But I just kind of walked out, did my own thing. I met up with them later on. And the enemy was already rejoicing. I met up with them later, and as a family, uh, each time we serve at Morning Star Breadbasket, all of our family goes and we serve. It's a ministry here in town that we partner with uh, some of the poorest people in uh, Muncie that we serve meals to. And so I get there, and uh, there are a couple people from the jar, and we're connecting. And there's also uh, some people there from a different church. And the person who's running the whole show is a control freak. She's a control freak. And uh, she would make, you know, micromanagement decisions the entire three hours we were there. I get there, and basically you take an apple and you put it in a sack. Now, you can't screw that up, right? She thought I was. You're not putting it in correctly. I'm like, what? It's an apple in a sack. Like, how do you not, you know, get that? And she's like, no, no, no. Let me show you how to do it. She runs right in. She starts doing it. I'm like, all right, no problem. So I go over to another place, and I'm like, hey, we need some salt and uh, and pepper on uh, this chicken and noodles. I'm like, okay. So I start putting some pepper in Like, I have peppered, and I have salted for 44 years, okay? So, like, I know how to do this, okay? And I'm starting to do that, and she comes up to me. She's like, Mr. Deeds, you know, like the butler on Mr. Deeds. He goes right up to me, and she's like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm peppering and salting. She's like, no, 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 you're not doing it correctly. This is the way you need to do it. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. And uh, so finally, uh, we get to the point where we're sweeping at the end. We're cleaning up. Now, I can sweep with the best because I used to work in a factory. So, and they didn't want me to do anything else, so they made me do that. Like All the important people had real jobs. They made me sweep. So I became a professional sweeper. Like the smart people do all the other stuff, they had me doing sweeping. So I'm sweeping, and she comes up to me, and she's like, You're not doing that correct. And at that point, this is what the temptation came in my head. Woman, shut up. That was it. I was like, you are no Gordon Ramsay yourself, so just, like, get out of the way, you know? And all of a sudden, the enemy is rejoicing. We got home later that afternoon. I'm on my computer. I'm kind of finishing up the teaching, making sure everything's ready to go. And uh, these two little monsters show up. And the first one walks in, And it's like, hey, Dad, let's play Operation. Doesn't that sound like fun? I'm like, no. Can't you see that I'm doing something for God here? Like, I'm really doing something. Get out. She walks out. Get a little bit more of the final touches on the teaching done. The other little monster walks in. Hey, Dad, let's wrestle. I'm like, no. Close the door. Can you see that I'm not doing something here that's really important? The enemy's rejoicing. Finally, it's Halloween, and so they're ready to go trick-or-treating. And to be honest, I didn't want to go trick-or-treating. I wanted to watch football. I didn't want to do that. So I kind of hem hauled around, just took my time. I'm thinking their mom eventually will be like, hey, let me take the two monsters. We'll go do something. And no, 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 they're waiting on me. So then we have to go around. We do the whole neighborhood, and I have this bad attitude, and things are not going well. And the enemy is rejoicing. Finally, it gets late, and we're like, well, we can't cook anything, so we're going to Fazoli's, we're going to pick something up. Through the drive-thru, we'll come back home, we'll eat together as a family. We pull up to Fazoli's, and Jennifer had to correct Shiloh, my youngest daughter, for something. She corrected her, and then all of a sudden, I hear from the back seat, Daddy, I wish Mommy was soft and kind like she was when I was little, but she's not anymore. Now, if you're a mom, that cuts, doesn't it? And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And like as a guy at that point, you're just like, don't even look. Just look straight ahead. Don't get eye contact, nothing. But I didn't, and I was dumb at that point. And so I look over, and there's tears starting to come down my wife's face. So we get all of that, and we get ready to take, but don't go awed too much, because those tears went away pretty quick. Because I mean, by the time we got home, man, she was mad. She was angry. She gets all the facilities out and they start like almost ordering her around like she's a maid. And finally, mom's just like had it. And she's like, that's it. That's it. I am not your maid. I am not the maid for either one of you. I'm done. And she walks upstairs. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, okay, they got the point. Okay, I'm like, hey. And then they just start whining and picking at each other and everything. And the wife is upset and it's not going that well there. And I lose it. I'm just like, that's it. I grabbed both of their little arms, and I don't think their feet touched the floor for about 20 feet. We get all the way to this little couch it's called the love seat, but there was no love now. It was lecture time, and they were going to get it. And I put them on the lecture seat and I start telling them, I am sick and tired of the way that you treated your mom this whole day. You've been disrespectful. You haven't been listening. We served some poor people today. Any of them would like to have a day like you had. And you've just thrown it away and I'm tired of it. And immediately these two little monsters start having tears come down their eyes. And have you ever had that point with your kids where you're on them and all of a sudden you know that you crossed a line and it's fear now that's in their eyes. And they're afraid of their dad. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit just like came to me and said, you crossed the line. Don't let the enemy devour your family. And I got on my knees at that point, and I go, guys, I'm sorry. Daddy doesn't want to be this way. And they started crying, and I started crying, and I said, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we forgive you, Dad. And they're like, will you forgive us? Because we haven't, you know, been real good either. And I'm like, yeah, I forgive you guys. And we're all, like, hugging each other, and we're crying together. And Mom hears all this commotion, and she comes down, and She gets in the middle of it, and I go, you know what, guys? I think there's been someone that's on the attack in our home, and I think it's Satan. And our youngest, Shiloh, goes, oh, gosh, don't bring him into it, Dad. (laughs) And I go, no, 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 Shiloh, Shiloh. It's it's okay. We're stronger than he is, and uh, through Christ we can. And Jordan, for the first time in her life, she realized, she's like, Dad, I didn't do my devotions today. I was like, yeah, I didn't either. And mom said, yeah, I didn't do it. And I said, we just haven't done much. And so we prayed right in the midst of that. We were like, the enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, you are not available in the bunch household anymore. We bind you. We tell you to leave in Jesus' name. And they leave. And all of a sudden, we're still there. And the kids are like, "Odd." Oh, Well, here, I can help out with this and I can do this. And all of a sudden, the night changed completely because we chose not to be devoured by the enemy. You know, folks, each one of us probably have stories like that in our lives. A time in which you underestimate the enemy and you put God on the back burner and you think in your own strength you can make it through the day. And then we put ourselves in temptation and in places where we're like, seriously, that's not going to help. Maybe some of you are like me and you wake up in the morning and you have good intentions to give the first part of your day to God. But the day goes on and the day goes on and the day goes on and you don't fit him in anywhere. And it's just done. And you haven't spent any time. And all of a sudden you get home and everything starts exploding. And you're like, why is this going on? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the enemy wants to devour. Or maybe you're single and you're trying to honor God and you're trying to live a sexually pure life, but you keep going to the same place, the same place. And you're like, why am I hooking up? And why do I feel so lonely and empty and lost? I'll tell you why, because you're letting the enemy devour you. Or maybe you're a married guy and all of a sudden the guys after work are like, Hey, come on, man, let's go uh, drink a couple. And you're like, ah, maybe just one. And you drink one, but then it becomes two, and then it becomes three, and four, and five, and pretty soon there are other women around. And what are you doing? What are you doing during that time? You're just tempting the enemy. You're taunting the enemy. Or financially, maybe, you know, you're strapped, and this is how you taunt the enemy. I think I'll just go to a car lot and walk around. I mean, I'm really struggling financially, but that will make it all better. No, 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 it doesn't. And here's the deal. A lot of us, we think we're okay just like I did last Saturday, that I can do it in my own strength. I can even do some good things through through the day, and I'll be fine. And it doesn't happen that way. Scripture says be careful. 1 Corinthians ten twelve says this. So if you think you are standing firm, what's it say? Be careful that you don't fall be careful so the first thing he did was he taunted the enemy the second thing is he rationalized the same old sin remember the very first week he leaves his hometown and he goes to find a woman that he can marry but she worships false gods guys any woman that worships false gods is not a good candidate for a wife just don't do it but here we see him do it again verse four it says Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was, what's her name? Delilah. (laughs) I know I'm old. There used to be this, uh, I think it still exists, but this call-in radio station. It was a love station. You could dedicate anything to someone. And uh, I tried to get online one time to dedicate something to my wife, and I had to wait so long I never did it. But, uh, yeah. Some of you are like, who cares? Okay, well, anyways, um, so here's Samson, and this is what's going on. Some of you are, like, right now Googling Delilah. Oh, that's what he's talking about. Uh, This is the third time he's messed up. He tried to marry one woman. He's with a prostitute. Now Delilah. All of them are in enemy camp. And more often than not, what we try to do as men is we are masters at rationalizing the same old sense. Well, I've done this one thing, but I'm a pretty good guy, and this isn't hurting anybody. And, hey, I was just looking. I, I didn't do anything else. A few years ago, I was with a group of guys that I was uh, reaching out to, and one of the guys had recently gotten married, and it came out uh, that he was uh, getting a subscription of Playboy uh, before he got married. And I was like, oh, I was like, eh. I was like, well, what about now? He's like, no, 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 I still get it. I get Playboy for the art. For the art. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the artistic. I was like, no, 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 no. You don't get it for the art. You get it for naked women that you can look at. That's what you get it for. Well, I don't. I was like, no, no, no. That's what you do. And I was like, this is going to destroy your marriage. You know why? Because your wife. No matter how beautiful she might be, cannot compete with an airbrushed person on a piece of paper. So if you don't get rid of this, it's going to destroy your marriage. And luckily, he listened, and he did. But what was this guy doing? He was simply trying to rationalize the same old sin. Well, this is what Samson does. Look at verse 5. It says the rulers of the Philistines went to Delilah and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. And so what do they do? They bribe her. They're like, hey, here's a little bit of cash. Here's some money. And if you do this, she's like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So she asked Samson, tell the secret of your great strength. You can look this up if you want. I'll just tell it to you real quick. And uh, he says, well, well, uh," and then he tells a lie. This is the lie, he said. He said, if you take seven ropes and you tie me all up on these seven ropes, I will become as weak as any other man. And so he goes to sleep. She calls in the Philistines. They put these seven ropes on him. And she yells out, Samson! The Philistines are coming, and he's like, and he breaks out of all of them, and she's like, you lied to me, it's not that, what is it really, he's like, oh, you just picked any ropes, you've got to get brand new ropes, that's what you need to do, she's like, okay, so she tells the Philistines, they go to sleep, they wrap him up with brand new ropes, she goes, hey, the Philistines are coming. He's like, Rah! he breaks through all of them. And she's like, ah, <laughs> you lied to me again. Why do you keep doing this? He's like, all right, all right. Okay, it's my hair. Now, he's getting close to the truth at this point. He said, it's my hair. He said, if you take my hair and you braid it this certain way and you put these pins in each one of them, then I will become as weak as any other man. And so they do all of that. And she's like, Samson, they're coming. He's like, he just like breaks free of everything. They're like, what is going on? And she's like, that's enough. I've had it. That's enough. And watch what happens in verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Now, ladies. If uh, at this point you've been feeling a little bit like, hey, you know what? I'm not being included on all of this conviction that you're giving to men. I want to try to help with your conviction today. And men, I'm going to need you to help me read this next verse. So in verse 16, okay, let's read what it says, okay? All together in one voice. Don't be wimps like the first celebration where they didn't join me. Okay, on three. One, two, three. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was... And can I get a witness up in here? Okay? How did it happen? This is how it happened. It did it. And what happened? Until he was what? Tired to death. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? Nagging and prodding all day long. Men, here's what I want you to see. Samson could open up the mouth of a lion and kill him. Samson could kill 30 men. Samson could go with a donkey's jaw and kill a thousand men. You know what Samson couldn't do? He couldn't lead one woman. He couldn't lead a single woman. He had so much strength, so much God-given potential, but he couldn't lead a woman and this is what happens with you guys you do great at work you lead all kinds of stuff in your hobbies you're leading things when you go out and you play sports you do leadership stuff but the place that you need to be the strongest at is a place where many of you are giving up and that's where it is at the home leading at the home is not saying hey i'm the man this is the way it's going to be done leading at the home means how do you love and care for your wife and kids even when they're unlovable how do you lead them in a kind and patient and loving way to the people around you? Leading and turning the other cheek and taking the high road. One time uh, early on in my faith as a, and when I was pastoring, uh, I was using all the scriptures to kind of show that I was the leader of the house. And uh, I was telling another friend of mine, and uh, he was much wiser than me. He's like, oh, I'm glad you're leading your house. And then he said this, he goes, so um, you lead in forgiveness too, right? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Well, you're the first one to always ask for forgiveness, even if you're only one percent of the problem, right? You lead in that area. And I'm like, uh, 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 you see, because this is the thing. A lot of men want to be leaders. They just don't want to lead in the humble things, like being able to say, I'll be the first one to forgive. I'll be the first one to show love. I'll be the first one to put your needs above my own. Men, many of you, in many ways, you lead people, but will you lead? In your home, of honoring God in all of those things. Watch what happens in verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. What was the Nazarite vow again? Don't get drunk, don't touch dead things, and what was the other thing? Don't cut your hair. He said, If my head, were shaved, my strength would leave, and I would become as weak as any other man. I love that phrase, though, that he says, you know, and, and when I thought about that I had been set apart from God since birth, that since birth, it's almost like he's going back in time, and he's like, ah, he's like remembering a time in his life When he was remembering that he was created to be who he was called to be. And this is the thing for you men. Is that every man here. You were created for more than just taking up space. You were created more than just being semi-successful in a job. You were created with passion and gifts and talents and abilities to be used to honor and serve the one who knows you best and loves you most. And many of you need to think about what was it when I was living that way to make a difference in the world. I was made for more than this. And Samson, it's like, he's looking back. He's like, I know who I was created to be when I was young. And then verse 19, it says, but I had to get, but the way I lose my strength is cutting my hair. Verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And then what happened next? Everybody read these last four words. What's it say? His strength left him. His strength left him. Are you trying to do life in your own strength? Are you doing your life with God's strength? His strength left him. What did... Samson do? He didn't mess his life up all at once. How did he do it again? One step at a time. He taunted the enemy. He rationalized the sin. And finally, Samson assumed his disobedience would never cost. He just assumed that my disobedience would never cost me. Guys do this all the time. Hey, I got away with this this one time. I bet I can do it again. I bet I can get away with it this time. He assumed his disobedience would never cost him. Verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his deep sleep. And what did he do? He's thinking, I'll go out before and shake myself free. He's like, I'll do what I've done three times before. I'll just shake it all free. I'll do that. But what he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. He didn't know that things had changed. Men, there comes a time in which you may be able to kind of fool certain people and you might get away with it once or twice or whatever and nobody can find out but you may come back to your wife or your girlfriend sometime and you may try to do your little way to to connect with them and she'll be like that's enough or maybe you come home to your kids and you come uh late for the 10th time and eventually they're like dad that's enough Or maybe you go to your boss and you're like, but I promise this time, I'm telling you, I'll get it right this time. Just give me a break. And the boss says, no, that's enough. Because so often, men, we get away with something. And we think we're going to be able to get away with it forever. I'll just do it this one last time. And I'll shake myself off. And he didn't realize that eventually... His own sin would overtake him, overpower him, overcome him. Because men, your sin will find you out. He thought, I can get away with this. It won't cost me anything. But he didn't realize that the Lord had actually left him. Here's verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding In the prison. How did a man with so much God given potential and so much strength mess his life up? How did he do it? Did he do it all at once? No. How did he do it again? One step at a time. So, man, here's the moment of truth for you. I'm going to double dog dare you right now to pull out your program and to answer the question that's right there. It says, where are you stepping away from God? And women, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. To take a moment right now to ask, where am I stepping away from God? It could be that it's step number one for some of you. It might be step number 56,249. But where... Are you stepping away from God? For some of you, you say, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. But you can't remember the last time that you actually opened up this book and you read anything from it. Or you might say, no, I'm a Christ follower. But you can't remember the last time that you actually prayed about something. Or you're like, no, 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 I'm a Christ follower, but church has just kind of been optional. I might option in, I might option out. In other words, your hair is still long, it's visible, people can see that you're a nice guy, maybe even pray before a meal, but inwardly, inside, you have drifted away from it. For others of you, maybe it's lust. I want it, I've got to have it. It might be lust in a sexual way, or maybe it's just the ways of the world. Or it might be entitlement, I deserve it. Or it might be pride. I can handle it. I can handle it. Maybe it's anger. You've just stepped away and you've lost anger. Or maybe it's apathy. That you've just become kind of apathetic about everything in general. Maybe it's greed. You just want more and more and more and more of this world. Maybe financially you haven't been honoring God in some areas of your life. It could be that you... Have a faith, but it's passive and it's weak. It could be a multiple of things, but I want to give you some time right now, just between you and God, to write it down. What is the area of your life that you've been stepping away from God? So, with the with the lights down, eyes on your own paper. Why don't you take some time right now? And if you're not sure, just ask God. God. Where are some of the areas that I'm stepping away from you right now? And we'll give you a moment to do that. I'd like you to, uh, take some time now and realize that it only takes one step to turn around, to turn around back to God. And we want to sing right now a song that talks about our need for God. And, uh, so if you could stand, we're going to sing this and, uh, then after that, if you'd like prayer for anything or maybe even during the song, uh, there'll be some people over here on the, the side and you could just say, this is where I'm stepping away from God right now. And you could just confess that and they'll pray with you and take a step closer to